and welcome to the Pricing Queen podcast with me, Sally Farrant. Each week on the podcast, I'll be sharing pricing tips and strategies along with ways to improve the profit in your business. I've got a track record for helping companies get their heads around their business numbers, and now I'm here to show you how to start earning the money you deserve and become a pricing queen yourself. and welcome to the Pricing Queen podcast with me, Sally Farrant. This week on the show, I'm talking to Rob and Kennedy, who run the Email Marketing Heroes. I know Rob and Kennedy because I'm part of their membership, The League, and they are all about email marketing and how to make more sales in your business. So listen in for today's episode, which is also quite funny. Right, welcome to the show. And today I've got Rob and Kennedy from the Email Marketing Heroes. Welcome, guys. Hi. Hi, Sally. And we're going to talk all about pricing and email marketing. So why don't you introduce yourselves and tell us a bit more about you? Yeah, awesome. So hello, I'm Rob. I'll be using this voice for the rest of the episode. Uh, Kennedy is the other one. I'll be the one doing all the humorous bits in this episode. That's what he thinks. Um, our background's a little bit weird. Um, I'm actually a hypnotist for the past almost 18 years. I've been lucky enough to travel almost, not quite, but almost all over the world, performing my show, hypnotizing people, making them do crazy things for the enjoyment of the audience and then sending them back again. And Kennedy is a mind reader. Anyone in the States listening would know that as a mentalist, but in the UK, mentalist means something very different. Um, and so basically that means he uses psychology and body language and understanding people and statistics and all sorts of other clever shenanigans to make it look like you can read people's minds. Because let's face it, when you can do that, you pretty much can. Like that's the nearest thing. Again, doing that on stage uh, after dinner, uh, awards, dinners and banquets and uh, luxury cruise ships all over the world and celebrity parties. So we've been doing that for like, as I said, the last 18 years or so. Along the way, we realized a couple of things. One was we'd accidentally started a business as an entertainer straight out of school for me and university for Kennedy. You don't just stick an ad in the yellow pages and then wait for the phone to ring. You've got to learn about pricing, positioning, branding, marketing. And along the way, we both just independently uh, fell in love, not with each other, but with email marketing and the ability that we had to use email to generate sales and inquiries and turn inquiries into clients and clients into a It sounded a little bit like you didn't protest too much. Much at this point. <laughs> we're going to get the wrong idea. Well, Can we using just words clarify? like doth doesn't help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The thing, the thing is, we are a bit like a married, like an old married couple, and like we spend a lot of time together, but we never have sex. That's 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 Wait, how we think. To take a drink there before you drop that. One. <laughs> that um, was a bad time, wasn't it? So, so yeah, and so we both fell in love with email marketing and the ability it had to generate sales because we hate, <laughs> we hate selling stuff with a passion. Like we love making sales, we just don't like the selling of it. And so we've we've done like sales training and like we really know what we're doing and understand it and just hate every second of that selling bit. So we're kind of like the anti-marketers, really, and the anti-sales people. Uncle, uncle marketers, actually. Uncle marketers uh, and anti-sales people. And we basically use uh, use our psychology stuff in order to generate sales and to quote peter drucker who's much cleverer than us you should have him on no um was basically talking about uh you know marketing makes sales superfluous and we really like that idea so yes that's us yes i like that idea too that you don't have to actually sell to people but i love that you're a mentalist i love that kennedy <laughs> yes 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 alan alan partridge loves that too <laughs> <laughs> and it is it is funny isn't it like like being an entertainer, you do have to price. Like you have to pick a price. You have to go. Oh, like when you decide to be an entertainer, you sort of go. Oh well, I'll put. I'll, I'll tell people I'll do this thing, and then they call up and go, "How much is it?" And then you suddenly go, "Oh yeah, I don't know." 
haven't thought about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's weird, isn't it? So how for that sort of thing, how do you pick a price and how do you make sure that you're competitive or not competitive, I suppose? It's, it's really interesting. When I, when I first started, I, I knew that the closest thing to what I do is a magician where they do like sleight of hand and they, they use their physical dexterity. I use sort of mental dexterity. So it's like magic but in your head i guess using mental skills mental skills mental um and i thought how do i make sure that i stand out so my marketing is going to stand out my image will stand out i created a brand around how i look and what i do but then what i what, what i've got a kind of a choice in how i price myself which is if the average magician because obviously i did what everybody does you know whenever you start a business as i I created a new Gmail account and I emailed a lot of other people going, hello, I'd really like to book an entertainer and, uh, and, and pretended to be, you know, Sheila from IBM or something and try and get sort of some quotes back. And I found that most magicians were charging about 150 quid, 150 pounds for a, for a show. And I thought, okay, I've got a few options. I can, first of all, because I'm not very experienced, I could be 100 quid or 50 quid because I'm new. So I could like undercharge, I could undercut them because I'm new and I want some experience and I'm desperate to get out there and I'm gagging to get out there and, and, and be wonderful. And all, the second option is I could charge the same as they're charging, be nice and fair, or I could charge a bit more than they're charging and be like an expensive magician, like could be £175, £200, maybe £250 and be an expensive magician. Or I could have a totally different price and that's what I did. Uh, my first ever gig, I think, was for £650. And I think the reason for that was I, I just thought, well, there's, there's lots of magicians, there's more magicians than what I do. So we'll talk about exclusivity and we'll make it sound. So by being 650 quid, I was no longer an expensive magician. I was sort of in a, I, I was making an apples to oranges comparison. I was incomparable. And we, Rob and I talk about this a lot on our podcast, email marketing show and stuff. We talk about, creating an environment of zero competition. And that's what we're all trying to do, we're trying to create this environment of zero competition in as many ways as possible. So yeah, we, we teach email marketing, but there's there are some other people, believe it or not, who also teach email marketing, but nobody teaches psychology-based email marketing, which as a hypnotist and a mind reader, we, we're uniquely positioned to do. So we try and again, create a, a position of zero competition. Yeah, I like that a lot. I get a lot of people who say to me, oh, you know, how do I deal with the competition and pricing against the competition? And I'm kind of like, you shouldn't be pricing against, there shouldn't be any competition. You need to work it so that there isn't any. But it's still, that's a really hard mindset shift to make, I think. Yeah, I think it's about stacking the uniquenesses that you've got. For example, as Kennedy said, lots of people teach email marketing. But if you want to learn about it from us, uh, like if you want to learn about the technical bit of email marketing, okay, we can help you a bit with that. And we can certainly help you implement the stuff that we teach. But there's definitely much better people to learn from if you want to understand how IP addresses affect delivery and all this stuff, because that's just not our world at all. We're all about making the psychology work hard so the technology doesn't have to. And so if you want to learn technology, there's definitely other people you should go and deal with uh, as well as us. But if you want to learn about writing great emails that convert really well and, and, and the psychology behind that, the copywritten psychology behind email marketing and structure and all that stuff, then, then we're like the next step. But then if you, want to, if you want to learn from people who have our background, then that takes us another step. And I think if you stack all of those things up, you very quickly become completely irreplaceable like you they can't find anyone else to to do what you do and finding those uniquenesses is not necessarily a, just about finding what's unique to you 
And that sounds like a weird thing to say, but there's a, there's a, in, in their book Positioning, and I cannot remember, Al, somebody, recent somebody else, um, wrote this really good book called Positioning. And it's a classic, and there's some of the stuff in there has changed now, and it, but, but most of it's really, really good. One of the things they talked about is this this beer factory, this beer factory, <laughs> brewery, please, people. A beer factory, also known as a brewery, but in, in Newcastle, where we're from, it's it's known as a beer factory, obviously. It's, it's actually known as a beer factory. Yeah, 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 a beer factory, yeah. And um, their agency was asked to go and look around the, this 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 brewery because they were going to be the people doing the positioning, the marketing, the branding for this particular alcoholic beverage and they looked around and they they sort of said oh what's that over there and that's that's the hops and that's where we do the thing and what's that over there well that's where we mix the what's it called and what's that over there that's the finance office what's that over there that's where we sterilize the bottles before we put the beer in okay and what's hang on go back to that place what what are they doing over there well they're sterilizing the bottles right tell me more about that well no like every every brewery does that yeah yeah that's interesting but nobody's talking about it no one's using this idea of how sterile and how the incredibly clean environment that this is created in, in their marketing positioning. And that became the whole angle of this particular beer brand. So it's not just about what you're uniquely doing, but it's actually what are you, you able to uniquely say as well. And it all comes down into every single element. So are other people who teach copywriting also using psychology? Yeah, like, sorry, but they are. But that's not their main hook. Their main hook might be, I've written billions of dollars of direct response copywriting, now learn it from me. They might be the billion dollar copywriter. Like, we've all got this unique positioning that then links into how do we link that to our, to our pricing, I guess. Yeah, it's kind of finding that unique thing. And I think a lot of that, for a lot of us, that is about us. And that's been really difficult for me coming out of a corporate background and kind of going, oh, oh, actually, it's not about, the business anymore the business is me and actually being the front of your business and all of that sort of thing and using your experience and everything else to help you set pricing and kind of be a business with a personal brand which is quite hard that's a thing that massive corporations need to learn from us as small businesses and personal brands like back in the day when Kennedy and I started as entertainers 18-ish years ago, like we used to, we both had fake email addresses pretending to be personal assistants. Like you had like Margaret at Kennedy'sWebsite.com and like people would, would like get in touch and then Margaret Kennedy on a Sunday would like reply and say, hello, uh, Kennedy would love to be at this event for you. I, I mean, delete, delete, delete. Kennedy would think it would be excellent for this. And I think loads of people did that. We've got a friend who's got an enormous like multi-seven-figure business once admitted recently once she started off with a fake assistant and i think that that's a that's the thing everyone did because everybody was trying to be bigger than themselves we can do this and we can do that when it's actually you sat at home with your dog now however the world's flipped massive companies need to try and pretend not pretend need to try and act as if they are these personal brands where there's a person in that business you relate to even if it's not the fat cat ceo at the top of the company even if it's you know, a fake Welsh or Italian or whatever he is opera singer who sells you a car insurance comparison. Like if it doesn't matter that he's just a character that that company I'm talking about has created, you want to be able to feel like you built a relationship or something with some one individual person from that company. So I think the massive companies really need to learn from, from small companies like us on that. Yeah. And I think it's, it is just kind of going, actually people do need to know who you are behind the brand, which is really uncomfortable, but you also get to choose how much you share or you don't share as well. You don't have to share everything. Yeah, totally. And then going on to kind of when you are higher priced, 
how do you talk about that? How do you make sure that people understand that that you're worth paying more? You obviously got the gig at 650 quid, but there's a lot of people say, well, nobody will pay that. So never done do, you... <laughs> do you know what's really interesting? I think we all go, oh, like when we think about putting our prices up or we, we start thinking about charging a, a premium or whatever that price might be and we get uncomfortable, it's usually because in our heads we... Look at the psychology of us human beings. What do we do is we imagine, immediately we start imagining saying that number. And then we imagine saying that number to somebody we already know who's paying the amount we currently charge or whatever. And we imagine that person saying no. The problem here is you imagine saying it to the wrong person. You imagine saying it to the person who's going to say no. The actual truth is there is a market for everything just go on the internet and look at some of the stuff that sells people are buying really terrible products every single day really terrible things and they're signing up for things that promise the miracles and all this these this scammy stuff that we know is terrible and i think if you're in in sally's world then you're probably a much more trustworthy and sincere and real and honest person so if if what it is that you're doing is much more sincere than that then all you've got to do is figure out the audience. And the, the, the classic direct marketer who everybody sort of hones back to often is Dan Kennedy from the US. And he talks about, and I can't remember the exact phrase he uses, but the whole philosophy is, it doesn't matter how good your offer is. We all obsess over how do I make it so that it sounds better and how do I stack it so it sounds really valuable. And we all obsess over that. And the truth is, the wrong audience will never be buy a brilliant offer never they can't whereas the perfect audience will buy a mediocre offer so let's not i'm not saying for a second we need to settle for mediocrity in our offers absolutely not we need to work really hard at those but then what we need to do is just keep testing the audience first most of us don't do that most of us go right let's have a look will they buy my offer no right i'll go and change the offer Will you buy it now? No, okay, I'll go and change the offer. Depends which way around you want to do it, but actually the, the easier way of doing all of this is create a really good offer that solves a problem and then go find the people who will who will do that for you and make sure you're able to stop them, grab their attention, get their interest and, and move them into, into considering the offer, definitely. But it's all about finding the audience. There are people who will only pay £150 for a magician, but I also know... There are companies who will only pay £10,000 for a magician and they will never look at the £150 per entertainer. So just find the right people. And the truth is, if you're going to increase your price, there are like, I believe there are these sort of pricing levels and certain buyers, certain customers buy within a certain number of pricing levels, but then you will, but there are certain prices they will never go to. And so you might need to change the who, not necessarily the what. I think one of the interesting things that came for me as a hypnotist is that in the UK, hypnosis as a stage entertainment thing is a relatively small market and there's not many of us doing it. And the major market in the UK for that form of entertainment is 
has always been pubs, bingo halls, that kind of event where the budgets are quite low and they're lower now than they've ever been because of everything that goes on in the world, even pre-pandemic, like all the stuff that went on in the world where pubs were closing down left, right and center and they couldn't afford entertainment anymore. And hypnotists charging 200 quid, were, they were quite expensive compared to a singer you could get for 60 quid and the singer would be on for longer. And it, it was just a different thing. And so I knew uh, at some point when I decided, actually, I need to put my price up, I want to charge more money. One of the conversations Kennedy and I had just as mates before we were business partners, back in the day was I was like what where can I like what where can I go to to charge more money as a hypnotist and we just very quickly looked at it and went well there's corporate events there are universities and there's weddings there's three people three different markets who are massive each one of them would be enough to sustain me completely by itself um, and they spend more money than a pub can on entertainment so I just said great in that case I just, I'm, I'm going to, and this was a mental decision. It was a, I'm not going to work pubs anymore. Like you can't hire me to come and do a show in your pub. And I haven't done a show in a pub for 12 years plus, just because I made that decision. It doesn't mean they don't inquire, but I don't even give them the price anymore because I know they're not going to pay it. And I, I don't want to make them feel uncomfortable about how, how expensive it is compared to what their budget is. You just can't hire me if you've got a pub to come and do a show anymore, but you can if you're getting married or you work for a university or a company. Um, and so I think making that decision, as Kennedy said, about who your, who your audience are is, com is what completely changes that around and makes you feel comfortable. I don't feel uncomfortable discussing my price with somebody from a company, but I do feel uncomfortable discussing it with the landlord of a pub because I feel a bit icky telling them how much it actually is. And how, how do you do I get a lot of people who say to me, oh, well, I want to work with a small business owner, but they can't afford it if I keep putting my prices up. So how do you kind of deal with that? Is that where kind of things you kind of do more like a group stuff. I think what you've got to remember is that that whole small business thing is such a vast, broad range. Like a small business, um, the definition of something like under 5 million revenue. Like there's a big difference between someone who's doing less than 50 grand a year and someone who's, you know, struggling to go from 1 million to 2 million. That's a quite a different thing. So I think it's to do with what, what do you mean by that? And do you, do you actually mean owner managed or do you mean uh, that the person and also people who've like who are a brand new business who've got zero turnover that's a viable market if you know where they've come from so if you want to work it with startups that's fine but most people will go after the startups who are startups not usually through choice because their industry doesn't exist anymore they got re made redundant they are i don't know they've got life circumstances that happened or whatever Whereas if you want to work with startups, if you want to find the ones who actually have money, look at what are the, what's the environment they're in? What are they doing? Are they VC funded? Have they got some kind of finance behind them? What kind of behaviors are they already exhibiting that shows you they've got some money to spend? Because all of us in our business, in your business, we've got two things, two main assets, and they are time and money. And micro businesses who are starting off on a shoestring will spend time and they'll waste lots of time and they'll waste lots of other people's time because they're trying to find the best way to do things and i say that not to be harsh i say that because i've been there me too <laughs> yeah but you go oh we'll have this conversation and then you get the price you as lovely and you look at your numbers and you go, i can't really do that and then you waste somebody else and we've just we've just all done that absolutely we've done that and you've got time and money. And what we really need in order to continue doing what you love doing, to continue 
sharing your passion, sharing your skill, sharing your talent with the world and with people is you need to find people who can help you sustain that and keep doing that. And the only way that you can do that is if they're paying you. So that's why we like, are, you know, you look at our, you look at your customer avatar, you look at your profiles of your different customers and you go, okay, where are they on that journey? If they are, I've never had a job, I've got no financial backing, and blah, 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 then some of those people will risk it for a bit to join maybe our membership, the league or something, but they're probably not going to stick around very long. They probably won't be able to spend the time and money to make the thing that we teach work. We're not going to serve them very well. They're not going to get value. They're going to waste money and they're not going to stick around uh, very long for us. So we're not going to get value from it. They're not going to get value from it. So there's, there's nobody winning in this situation. So we don't target those people. We, we, we really want to help people who've already got a business idea. Like if you haven't got a business idea already, we, we probably can't help you because we're not in the business of helping you figure out what you do. Like that's a different course. That's a different program. It's a different membership. So it's about really getting a tight handle on, on that. And as Rob said, just going like, I know when I put my fee up to, to 2000 pounds, I remember re be re being really afraid. I was like, how am I going to find these people? Because I went from 1,200 for a show to 2,000 for a show. And I was like, those are different people. And I've got friends who are like 10, 20, and 30,000 a show. Same length show, same type of thing. But just different people are booking those things. It's just about going, who's spending that money on that thing? Because the good news is, in whatever you do, they're looking for the next thing to fill that spot. They're looking for the next supplier, the next business, the next entertainer, the next whatever, because they need to have the next one of those things because we enjoy buying and we also want solutions to problems. So, so you've got to go and serve that market. And that's all you're going to do. You're going to show up and go, oh, I can be the next one if you want me to be. Great, cool. And then move on. Yeah, because I definitely find a lot of people say, oh, you know, I want to serve the kind of market where people don't have loads of money or, you know, early freelancers, that sort of thing. And it's like, but then you have to make some different decisions about it, which is you need to have a big audience where you can sell lots of low cost things and that's fine, but you've got to make some conscious decisions about all of that stuff. So I think it's too easy to fall in the trap of selling lots of cheap things without having enough people to buy them. But I, one of the other things is that we're not saying high ticket is the answer either, are we? No. No, absolutely. I mean, we we have both Kennedy and I have sold expensive stuff apart from entertainment. Um, so things like group coaching programs, masterminds, you know, digital programs and stuff that was thousands of pounds or thousands of dollars per person. And that's just not part of our business anymore. It never has been in our joint business, but it has been in our separate businesses each. And we've, we've a few times had calls, you know, that like discovery sessions, sales calls, basically with coaches and mentors who we're thinking about working with. And I would say at least three conversations, we've jumped on the call. We've specified very early on. It's not within our business model to have a high ticket thing. We don't want to have a high ticket thing. We have our membership of the league and everything that we deliver in there is what we would deliver if we had a high ticket thing. So like we'd have nothing else to sell. Like we, we put everything into that. And um, by the end of the call on all three occasions, they've tried to say, oh, well, even there's no business there, then there's no sustainable business there. You can't grow that because you need to get 10 people a month paying you $5,000 each as opposed to whatever the numbers stack up to be in monthly memberships. And well, I mean, well, A, we've proven that's not true. And it's just, it just happens to be that's the only way they know how to make money. That's the, that's the only way they know how to run the business so that the economics of it work. And we're just, we've just proven that the opposite is actually, it's more fulfilling for us as business owners, but also it's, it's 
equally profitable. So and we can help more people. Oh, yeah, Because exactly. we're very mission-led as well. Like we're we're genuinely, and this is not just one of those things that you put on a thing in the in the in the office above your computer or something. Like we're genuinely on this mission to clean up the way people do email marketing, so that we can all receive better email marketing, and also we can all, as businesses, send better email marketing and get better results from that. So we can't do that if we only work with five clients a month. That's going to take us a long time to change the world. Whereas if we can do that with hundreds and then thousands of people a month, then we can have a much bigger impact. And because email marketing is such a high return on investment activity, like I saw a stat the other day from somebody who said, it's like in the UK alone, it's 400 times return. And in America, it's like 600 times return on average across every every industry for email marketing, which you know kicks the butt off um, pretty much absolutely, in fact, statistically, every other type of advertising and marketing. So like if we can help more small businesses and you know businesses of all size, I guess, do more of that more effectively and get those results instead of being frustrated with it, then that's part of our mission. And we're obviously very passionate about that. Yeah, and it's definitely made a difference in my business. I've started using all sorts of your campaigns because I'm not, I, you know, as an accountant, I don't have any marketing background. So it's been a massively steep learning curve. But then I, you know, you start putting out emails and, and you start to make more sales because I put out daily emails now. And I'm like, oh, oh, this stuff really works. Actually, it makes a massive difference. It's like, and actually I don't have to, I don't have to do icky sales calls. I don't have to do any of that stuff. It can just go out on email. If people want to buy, they can. And if they don't, that's also absolutely fine. And they nobody needs to know that. And I think that, you know, you kind of don't have to have all that kind of slightly tricky conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this is brilliant, brilliant. Thank you ever so much. And uh, where can we find you? A couple of things, really. I mean, obviously, you like podcasts because, well, you're here. Um, we have our podcast, The Email Marketing Show, comes out every Wednesday with a brand new episode. One week, it's me and Kennedy. And then the next week, we have a guest. Then it's me and Kennedy. Then we have a guest. And then, where do you get the idea? Um, and then we also uh, have, we, we love email marketing so much that we made a lovely community about it as well. The Email Marketing Show community, good at email marketing, terrible at names. And you can hang out in the group. It's totally free if you want to. To. you don't have to but if you want to on the way into the group you can give us your email address and then we will spam you till kingdom come uh, with our daily emails and you'll get to see how we actually do this uh it's we won't actually spam you can i just clarify no spam will be attached to any emails not a little slither of spam uh, we'll help <laughs> you every day a spam sandwich but you will get tips and advice and ideas for your email and you'll market. be and you'll be singing musical musical theme tunes forever because yeah, everything's themed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you don't like musicals, we're not for you. Um, yeah, so come and hang out. Just search for the Email Marketing Show community on Facebook and you'll find the group. That's oh, us. thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the Pricing Queen podcast with me, Sally Farrant. Please do leave a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast. It really helps spread the word and get more people listening. Make sure you're following me on Instagram at the Pricing Queen or One Word, where I share more tips and advice on how to make more money in your small business. See you next time, Pricing Queens.